0: Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We wanted to let you know that Olin's first book, What to Do with Worry, is now available on Audible. You can also purchase physical copies where Christian books are sold. Now, here's Olin. All right, if you have your Bibles, let's open up the 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel 16, and in one sense, we're just going to pick up where we left off last night, and here's the idea we looked last night at pride and really the anatomy of pride, the roots of pride, how pride starts in the depths of our heart, and in some sense, what we said last night is it starts very small, it starts very subtle, seemingly imperceptible, not that big of a deal, impatience, little white lie, a little bit of manipulation, something that probably all of us have done before in our life. But what we want to talk about this morning is the idea of the growth of pride the growth of pride, that if you don't check it, if you don't fight it, if you don't take it seriously, even when it's small and like a white-collar sin, that's kind of domesticated, it doesn't seem like a big deal, it will grow into much bigger, more external and worse sins, and we need to take it seriously. Now, I mentioned this last night, but let me say it again. A lot of the examples that I may use are from people that are in full-time ministry, and there's at least two reasons for that. One, that's who I spend most of my time ministering to, so that's where I have the most practical examples. But the other reason I'm doing that is I think sometimes it's helped remember the best of people, the best of men, the most gifted of Christians, the people that get paid to read their Bible and do all the spiritual stuff in means of grace. Even they can fall into these sins. So we, none of us, wherever you may be in your Christian life, you never need to think that you're above these sins, that you're beyond these sins. Okay? Now, we're going to look at Saul again, but what we're also going to do is we're really going to compare and contrast Saul to three other godly men in the book of Samuel as we go. So first we're going to do a comparison between pride and prayer, and we're really going to compare Saul and Samuel. So let's look in 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you, and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And then skip down to the end of the chapter, after David has been anointed to become king. Or we'll look at that verse, verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Now, verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Let me make one comment here, because again, this is one of those things that can be a little controversial. What does that mean? I thought once you had the Holy Spirit, He never leaves. I'm going to give a very brief explanation. If it's not enough, after we're done, Sean will come up and answer all of your deep questions about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Okay? Here's my best understanding. The Holy Spirit obviously was working for salvation in the Old Testament. You can't become a Christian without the Holy Spirit regenerating your heart. That's always been true. But it does seem in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit primarily came in force and in power upon the leaders. Men like David, men like Moses, to empower them to do the work that God had done. And sometimes the Holy Spirit even came upon non-Christians to do things. Think about this. There's There's the famous story of Balaam and his donkey. And God spoke to the donkey. That doesn't mean the donkey became a Christian. Okay? So, but don't get caught up in that. That's not the point of our story this morning. Here's the point. You are going to be faced with situations that bring fear. They're at least going to tempt you to fear, no matter how godly you are. Samuel the prophet, the mouthpiece of God in the Old Testament. He's so sad. I thought Saul was going to be this great king. He didn't turn out very well. He's grieving in his heart. And God said, hey, I'm done with Saul. Quit grieving over him. Time to go anoint a new king. But Samuel's not a dummy. and He says, hey, if I, if he gets out that I'm going to anoint a new king, I can already tell Saul's in a bad place. Everything we talked about last night, the fear, the manipulation, the control. I think he'll have me executed. He's still the king. He still has power. But notice what he does. Samuel doesn't do what Saul did last night when he got fearful. He didn't take matters in his own hands. He didn't say, no way, God, I'm not doing that and run away. He prayed. Maybe the best, most practical thing that you can do when you're struggling with any sin, whether it's fear, whether it's pride, is just turn the temptation into a place of prayer. Hey, God, here's what I'm struggling with. I hear what you're saying. Part of me wants to do it, but a lot of me doesn't want to do it. And you pray and you talk. And God spoke to him and God gave him wisdom said, here's how you handle it. Don't say you're going to a king. Go to offer a sacrifice, and that is part of what you're going to be doing. Just say that. Nobody will give you any problems. But when the Spirit of God leaves King Saul, here's one of the interesting things I mentioned last night. I'll mention it again. You study the life of Saul. There's never a place where he's praying, Oh, God, I'm being tormented by a demon. An evil spirit has rushed upon me. Okay, Would you please take this evil spirit away? And again, let me just pause right here. Here's another kind of controversial thing. An evil spirit from the Lord. That can really wig us out, right? But just think about it. If we believe in God's sovereignty, that God is literally in control of everything, then yes, there is a devil. Yes, he is our adversary. Yes, he hates us. But he's still on a leash. In some sense, he's a puppet. He's a pawn that God controls. So even if there was a demon coming after you, God's in control of that. And how should you respond? You should pray. You should Listen. If your prayer life is weak, right, and we won't do a show of hands on this one, but most most Christian men I've ever been around, if you say, how's your prayer life? Most of them don't say, it's awesome, it's great, you should have me give a testimony on it. Most of them are like, ah, it's kind of struggling, it's sporadic, it's not what it should be. If there's one thing that ought to help your prayer life, it's if you knew you had a demon coming after you. It's like, hey, I'm going to pray about this one. Maybe I can handle the work situation all on my own. I can't handle demons on my own. Help me, God. No recorded prayer that Saul ever said, Oh God, have mercy. Oh God, help me. Oh God, change this. Saul was not a man of prayer. There's really only kind of one of Saul's prayers recorded in the whole Bible. And even that was kind of like somebody had to say, Hey, shouldn't we pray about this? And he's like, Oh yeah. But what is David maybe most famous for? The book of Psalms, where over half of them, they're his. He was a man of prayer. Maybe the best thing to cultivate real humility in your heart is just be a place, a man of prayer. So, do you pray or do you go to pride to handle situations in your own strength? The second comparison will be fear and faith. We're going to look at David, David versus Saul. So go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is the story of David and Goliath. It's very long. We're not going to read the whole thing. My guess is that most of you have heard enough of it. You'll be familiar. So let's start in verse 4. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulder blades. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. And he stood... And shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and service. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and they were greatly afraid. How many of you have seen the old movie Troy with Brad Pitt? Okay, Another great movie. All right, it's, it's not Braveheart level, but it's a good one to go see. That's a good manhood movie. But there's this scene at the very beginning where you have two armies lined up to fight. And they said, let's choose a champion so that all these people don't have to die. And if our champion wins, then we win the battle, you become our slaves and vice versa. And this actually happens sometimes in the ancient Near East. And so that's what's happening. But uh, the Philistines had a giant named Goliath, probably nine feet or taller. Huge. Now just think about what we know about Saul if you read the book of Samuel. Part of what he was known for is he was the tallest Israelite, heads and shoulders above everybody else. At that time in ancient Israel, most men didn't have their own suit of armor. They didn't even have their own sword and shield. But Saul did. Saul had a suit of armor. Saul should have been the man to say, I'll go fight Goliath. But he's terrified. He's a fearful man. We've already pointed this out. And guys, one of the things I want us hopefully to learn from this is fear is contagious. You may say, well, I'm not a king over a nation. No, but but are you the husband over your household? Are you the manager over your store? If you live by fear, it will bleed down. It will trickle down. But if you live by faith, that's contagious as well. That will trickle down. Imagine if we played a little game today and we brought two people up on stage, and one of them we gave a pair of red tinted glasses, and the other guy we gave a pair of green tinted glasses. This would not be a very exciting game, all right, but there's a point here. And we held up a white piece of paper in front of both of them, and we asked the guy with the red tinted glasses, What color does this piece of paper look like to you? The answer would be red. Green tinted sunglasses, it would be green. How do you go into life, gentlemen? Do you go out with spiritual goggles of fear so that everything you see kind of brings a sense of paranoia and suspicion and oh no and panic and worry? Or do you live in a place of faith? God's on my side. God's for me. I'm on His team. I can take risks. And I'm not talking about taking stupid risk, but I can be bold. I don't have to live by fear. We're going to see the difference in the way that David and Saul live. Skip down to verse 20. And David rose early in the morning, and he left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks. And he went and greeted his brothers. And as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up. Out of the ranks of the Philistines, and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away their approach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy defy the armies of the living God? You see the difference in David. If Saul is the great picture of fear and pride, David is the great picture of humility and courage. Humility and faith. Listen, guys, it's easy at first glance when we talk about pride versus humility to think more of just personality traits. Well, this guy's kind of loud and bombastic and he types to take the risk. And this guy's kind of meek and mild and quiet and an introvert. So I guess this guy's humble and this guy's proud. Not necessarily. True spiritual humility leads to courage. Because it's not about me. Did you, did you see David? He said, this guy's defined, not me, not my family. He's defined God. I'm passionate for God. I want to fight for God in His name and His glory. But as you also see, remember guys, David was the youngest brother, the sheep herder. He'd already been anointed to be king. Now just try to put yourself in this situation. If you had a bunch of older brothers and the prophet comes to town, hey, I'm going to anoint one of you to be king. They don't even call you because you're the runt. You're out in the backcountry. But then they call you finally and you get anointed to be king. How do you think you'd be acting the next day? Be like, hey man, I ain't taking care of the sheep anymore. That's dirty business. You have to sleep outside. I'm going to be sleeping in the big house with daddy now. All you older brothers, you're going to do my chores. Remember, I'm going to be king one day. You better be nice to me, not David. What you learn about David is in the, in the meantime, before he actually became king, he stayed home and he kept the sheep. He still was a faithful servant to his dad. And sometimes he went up and played the harp for King Saul when King Saul was possessed by a demon. He was a humble man willing to serve. The true spirit-filled man and leader can be happy to be in the background, in the kitchen, cooking, when it's time to do that. And then he can be happy to step forward and be the leader and speak boldly when it's time for that. It's not about his personality. It's not even necessarily about his desires. It's open about where can I best serve the kingdom of God right now. If it's up front, great. If it's hidden in the back, great. And David's a picture of that because he's a man of faith. He's living for the eternal realities and not just the realities he can see with his own physical eyes. Skip down to verse 32. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail him because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard. I love that. And struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, "The Lord." who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. This was a confrontation between fear and faith. Saul is trying to lead from a place of fear. You can't do it. You're a teenager. This guy's been killing people since he was a teenager. David had faith. It was a confrontation, and faith won. David didn't back down. And, guys, I want us to see this. I hope that you can see. This is not a silly, immature, fairy tale type faith. I can do anything if I want to. I can do all my dreams. I can sprout wings and fly if that's what I feel like. David said, I have faith because of the past experiences of what I've already seen God doing in my life. I killed a lion one time, I killed a bear one time. If God helped me do that, why can't He help me kill a giant? How many of you have ever heard the phrase, preach the gospel to yourself? Anybody ever heard that phrase? Okay, it's a good phrase. Let me give you a little addendum to that. It, it, it's, it's, it helps. Preach your own history to yourself. Part of what was great about hearing the two testimonies last night and this morning, it's just great to see God's faithfulness working in somebody in your own community, in your own church, isn't it? And it's like, hey, God's real. God does stuff. I mean, I that this morning reading my Bible journal a little bit, and part of what I was writing down was about some specific thanks, about specific prayers that God has answered in my life in just the past few days. And when you've had something you've been praying for for months, and then it actually happens, what does that do for the things you're praying for today? It gives you greater hope. It gives you greater faith. It gives you greater confidence. If God answered that prayer from five months ago, He can answer this one, right? May have to wait a while. Remind yourself of the past ways that God has already worked in your life. Let's skip down to verse 45. Okay? Verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give you... Give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. That's what you call holy trash talk, all right? He said, hey, I'm going to kill you and all your friends and I'm going to chop your head off just for good measure. Probably not a great New Testament application for this one, okay? Okay. But at least it's fun to read about in the Old Testament. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead. He fell to his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in his hand. In the hand of David, then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Okay? Guys, do you live by fear? Do you live by faith? It will be contagious, it will bleed down to others. Once Goliath had had faith in some sense, but he had faith in his own abilities. Didn't work out very well for him. And when he fell dead, all the army. If you put your faith in the wrong thing, that won't work well. You've got to make sure you're putting your faith in the one true Lord God. And then he will never let you down. There may be dark days. There may be hard days. There may be dips on the roller coaster. There may be days when he seems distant. But if you are living... By fear, in those dark days, you're going to panic. You're going to worry. You're going to overreact. If you're living by faith in the valley of the shadow of death, you'll say, I know he's with me. I can't feel him. I can't see him. I can't hear him. But I trust the character of God's word. What he tells me about himself, the word of God has more power in my life because I'm going to let it have more power in my life than the evil whisperings of Satan in my mind that are saying, you're a goner. He's forgotten about you. He's not going to come through for you. He's not a good father. He doesn't keep his promises. Maybe for other people, but not for you. He's not really that personal. He doesn't really care. You ever have those, those thoughts go through your mind? That's when you've got to preach your history, preach the gospel, preach the truth to yourself. Now, First Samuel 18, this will be a comparison between Saul and his son Jonathan. And it's a comparison between suspicion versus submission. Again, I know I used this last night, but I'm going to use it again. Guys, this is just a great litmus test. Because if you're like, man, all this stuff is good in theory, but I'm trying to figure out how do I really apply? How do I know? Am I, am I more proud, more humble? A great litmus test is when somebody comes and gives you constructive criticism, how do you respond? The fearful por- the fearful person is going to get suspicious. Who have you been talking to? How long have you thought this? Defensive. The submissive person is going to get humble and try to take it and invite it in. It's just a mistake. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everything. But at least I'll take it and pray about it. Look at the difference in how Jonathan and Saul are going to respond here. 1 Samuel 18, starting verse 1. And as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And, Dave and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. It's like... His soul was chained to the soul of David. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. He's like, man, this guy's a warrior. He's not dealing with sheep anymore. He's going to be a general. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now listen. This may just be David is still the little shepherd boy. He didn't have any armor. He didn't have any clothes worthy to serve in the king's court. And Jonathan sees what happened, what God is doing. He says, you know what? You can have my robe. You can have my sword. You can have my armor. At minimum, it means that. More than likely, this was almost like a ritualistic way for Jonathan to say, I know you're going to be the next king. Even though based on divine right and hereditary, I should be the next king. God wants you to be the next king and I'm fully behind you. Here's my sword. Here's my armor. Here's my robe. It's like a covenantal ceremony. One commentator said this, only faith makes us willing to be the lesser. Imagine you were in a job situation and there was an opportunity for promotion that came up and you thought that you should be the one to get the job for whatever reason. Maybe you're the oldest Maybe you've got the longest tenure. Maybe you really think you're the most qualified, the best gifted. But then your boss chooses somebody else. And it's not a sinful decision. You can't say, like, that guy's a crook, he should be in jail. He's a good guy. You just don't think he's as qualified for the job as you. But God in his providence has ordained, the other guy got the job. How do you respond? And I don't, guys, it doesn't mean that you can't say, you know what, maybe it's time for me to look for a new career. Doesn't mean that. But can you do that with a happy, humble heart? A submissive heart. Maybe this is God just speaking to me. It's time for me to move on. Are you like a pouty, petulant child? I can't believe they didn't call my number this time. It's finally supposed to be my day to shine. Is your heart filled more with suspicion or is it filled more with submission to God, His wisdom, His providence? Look at verse 7. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousand, and David his tens of thousands. Now listen, there, there are multiple commentators that will say probably what the women were doing is they weren't saying David was better than Saul. They were just kind of mocking the Philistines. They were kind of like, man, we got a king that can kill a thousand Philistines, and now we got a new general that can kill ten thousand. They, were they, they weren't necessarily trying to say David's better than Saul. They were just in general trying to mock the Philistines. Right? It's like, man, we got multiple people over here that can kill Philistines when they want to. But that's not how Saul heard it, was it? Right, Because he's got an arrogant, fearful, suspicious heart. So everything he hears, he's interpreting through those lens of fear, of pride, of self-centeredness. It's all about me. What do people think about me? And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And saw I David from that day. Guys, I know a situation that basically like I was just describing, opportunity for motion came up. One guy didn't get it. The other guy got it. And the guy that didn't get it stayed, was trying to fight, Christian guy, trying to fight to have the humble heart. Be supportive, right? But at one point he met with me, and he literally probably said, let me tell you 20 things that I think this new guy's doing wrong. And as I was trying to listen, objectively, I know both of the guys, what I realized is all the 20 things you just listed out, maybe, maybe they were bad, depending on how you interpret them. But there's also a positive way to interpret them. But he had on these lenses that everything he saw about himself, he spun it to be positive. And everything he saw about this other guy, he spun it to be negative. Does that make sense? It's a dangerous place to be. Verse 10, the next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the liar, and as he did day by day. And Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin him to the wall. But David evaded him twice. And so, I don't want to get off on this, guys, but again, look at the humility of David, the giant killer the bear killer, the lion killer. But when the king is literally trying to murder him, David doesn't take matters into his own hands. He realizes, hey, I am not going to kill the king of God's people, even if he is crazy, even if he has a demon. I'm leaving that to God. That would be out of bounds for me. You might be in a situation right now where you see something wrong with somebody in leadership, and maybe there's a place for you to speak up, but it might be, you know what, that's not my role. I can pray about it, but that is not the role that God has given to me right now. Humility, patience, wisdom, they go together. can't remember where I left off. Okay, Verse 12, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him, but all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Guys, Matthew Henry, those who indulge themselves in envy and uncharitableness give the devil a foothold. Do you see the progression here? We started last night, first Samuel 13 with the sin of impatience <laughs> that we've all struggled with. And now by 1 Samuel 18, we're at the sin of murder. I was talking to one guy today about some of the discussion I had in the discussion group last night. Confessing your sin after you do it is great. <laughs> Even better to talk about it while it's still in your heart and you had not done it yet, you're just tempted. And here's what I'm tempted to do. Kill it at the deepest, quickest root that you can so that it doesn't grow, it doesn't mature, it doesn't take over your whole life. Please be honest with yourself. What three words that we have talked about this morning most honestly describe your life? Is it pride and fear and suspicion? Or is it prayer, faith, and submission? And if you're like, oh, I'm not really sure, ask your best friend, ask your roommate. Ask your wife. I'm going to ask you a question, and you can say whatever you want, and I won't get mad no matter what. And let them fire away. Now, here's my guess. That what some of you are thinking, and honestly, when I study this sometimes, here's what I think and feel. I'm trying to be humble. I'm trying to live by faith. I'm trying not to be a coward. right? I'm trying to be a better man of prayer. I'm trying to be submissive to providence. But it's not easy, right? It's not like you can just say, I will be a man of faith tomorrow. <laughs> there's a, there's an internal battle for the godliest among us between fear and faith, between pride and prayer, between suspicion and submission. We can still be racked and overwhelmed with these things. How can I be free? Part of what helped bring David to such a position of strength and confidence. Think about what it must have felt like when Jonathan, the son of the king, came and said, Hey, I support you. I'm voting for you. If I get a vote, I vote David for king. Pretty good deal, right? The son of the king of God's people? If we're in Christ, guys, we've got an even better deal. The son of God, the son of the universe, came down and he took off his robe of righteousness. And he says, Here it is, you can have it. And give me your robe of shame. Give me your lifestyle of fear, pride, arrogance, and I'll take it to the cross. And I'll suffer there. I'll be I'll be nailed to the cross for you. And guys, with his blood, he chained himself to us. In a sense, Jonathan gave up all his gifts all His riches, all His rights, all His privileges for David. The Lord Jesus Christ did all that for us and even more, He literally gave up His life, His soul, and hell for us. That love ought to overwhelm all of our fear, all of our doubt, all of our pride, all of our anxiety. And in the dark night of the soul, in the valley of the shadow of death, when you feel alone, when when circumstances seem to be screaming at you God's not real. He's not powerful. He's not wise. He's not loving. At least not to you. He's not doing what's best for you right now. What you have to say is, something happened 2,000 years ago in history that overwhelms anything that I can see, touch, taste, or feel now. And so by faith, I will continue to trust Him, to pray to Him, to submit to Him. And He will come through because He's already proven it. Lord Jesus, Help us be honest about our weaknesses, our sins, our struggles. But then by your grace, would you help us to live more and more from a Christ-centered confidence, not a self-centered confidence. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.